Welcome to Primarily, the podcast all about the 2020 Democratic primary. I'm your host, Karen Robinson. This week on the Primarily podcast, we welcome back the political journalist Emma Burnell, this time to talk about uh, specifically Bernie Sanders and his entry into the race. Um, What resistance that we might personally be feeling towards Sanders candidacy, but also what are the positives um, of Sanders entering the race. Um, Emma is an avowed socialist. I am not, but curious about socialism and and potentially open to it. Um, But both of us have some um, anxieties about the prospect of a Bernie race. So we just thought we'd unpack that and make sure that we're being completely fair and thoughtful about the candidate. Um, But before that, a quick news roundup. This week in non-primary but definitely election-related news, uh, the North Carolina 9th Congressional District um, declared um, a hearing was held in which it was finally agreed that a new election would be held after extensive voter fraud uh, was found by the Republican candidate. There were some very dramatic developments in the hearing considering this issue when Mark Harris, the Republican candidate um, who was credibly accused of having uh, contracted uh, a man called Dallas uh, to um, run an absentee voter program that was um, collecting uncompleted ballots and filling them in and sending them in on behalf of typically a lot of minority um, and underrepresented voters. Um, It was found that um, he, he claimed in the hearing that he was unaware of previous Uh, allegations against this man, um, including that he had a previous criminal conviction for exactly voter fraud of this type. Um, He claimed that he didn't know this. Uh, There was a really dramatic moment in the hearing when his own son uh, testified that he had actually told his father about these concerns. His son's prosecutor had raised it. They even have emails um, in which the the, the allegations were discussed. Um, So it seems very clear that, in fact, voter fraud did take place in this election um, and that it was very much a Republican-led voter fraud, um, really aimed at disenfranchising minority absentee voters. Uh, a new election will be declared. Um, I think it's it's yet to be determined whether Harris himself will be a candidate again. The Republican Party is very keen, understandably, to keep him off the ballot. Um, but that 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 is uh, something that we will be keeping an eye on here. Uh, voter fraud, um, in 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 the sense of individual voters committing fraud, is is virtually unheard of. It's very very unusual. Um, but voter fraud, as um, as in a political organization, um, trying to committing felonious acts activities to to influence the election in a negative way um, obviously has really happened in this case um, and was 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 led by the Republicans so um, very very troubling for a democracy in other primary news um, we have an unusual announcement from the Republican side of the aisle this week when former Massachusetts governor William Rel- Will- William Weld um, has announced that he will be running in the Republican primary challenging Donald Trump uh, Weld is an interesting candidate as a Republican uh, 
as a Massachusetts voter um, myself, I remember when Weld was uh, was the Republican governor of that state. Uh, he is a sort of typical New England Republican, so I guess we'd have to say a classical, um, moderate, uh, relatively socially liberal, relatively economic conservative. Um, he previously ran for pre- for vice president, I believe, on the Libertarian platform, um, and this time he's running in the Dem- in the Republican primary. Um, so it's interesting to. See see that, Repu- that, that Donald Trump is getting a challenge from the right, um, although I personally would be surprised if, if he received a significant number of votes. Um, we'll see. In other Democratic primary news, um, Elizabeth Warren this week rolled out a universal childcare policy, which I think has been really interesting. I would encourage all of you to have a look at it. Uh, but basically, the policy would, would mean that everybody um, at 200% of the poverty level or lower um, would have access to completely free childcare, um, and those above would have subsidized childcare up until up until a certain point. It's a really smart and really interesting policy that covers an area that I think has been much underrepresented, which is early years childcare. Um, I think it's interesting to note that a, an economist uh, working for Moody's has stated that they think the if implemented, even once fully paid for, uh, the childcare uh, universal childcare policy would probably grow the economy um, by about 0.8 percent per year, just because of increasing uh, workforce participation. So um, it would have uh, interestingly a significantly bigger effect um, on economic growth than, for example, the Republican tax cut that was passed last year. So I'm really excited about this policy. And finally, the other big news in the in the race this year, this week, is that Bernie Sanders has indeed announced his candidacy. I think this is long expected, um, but we will spend the rest of the episode talking about Bernie and what his entry into the race means for uh, our politics. So I want to welcome back political journalist Emma Burnell, who was with me a couple of weeks ago, um, talking about the state of the race. This week, Emma and I are going to try to unpack our complicated feelings about the Bernie Sanders candidacy. Um, Bernie obviously just announced his entry into the race this week, which I think probably came as no surprise, but it is a, a moment to mark. Um, now, Emma, I have previously on this described this podcast describing myself as socialism curious. You are an actual socialist. I am. I am an actual socialist. Hello, Americans. Please don't hate me. Yeah, she's she's the, she's, she's not that kind of socialist. Uh, yes, no, honestly. No. I'm like Warren Beatty in Reds. <laughs> or Rob, a nice kind. You're Rob Delaney from Catastrophe. Who yeah, is, who is a he's, he's way more socialist than I am. <laughs> um, so... I, I think the reason I, I thought it was really interesting to get Emma in, in to talk today is because I am open-minded to socialism, um, perhaps more so than ever before, because I think the world has changed and, and actually we do need to intervene much more aggressively um, in the structure of the hierarchies and, and, and redistribute wealth quite aggressively because it's gone completely out of control. Um, but Bernie Sanders makes me really uncomfortable and I'm just really unexcited about his candidacy and was interested that when I watched his announcement, I just felt this surging sense of dread. Um, so I thought it would be useful to unpack all of the different things that are going through our heads when we think about a Sanders candidacy and figure out, are these actually fair reactions or are we kind of as as I'm sure Sanders supporters will quickly chime in to tell us on Twitter, we're just being centrist sort of golds or, um, or are we resistant because it just seems so new and strange. Um, so before we get into that, let's just cover the basics. 
Do we think that Bernie Sanders, in entering the race, becomes the front runner? Um, I think probably naturally, yes. Um, he was that close last time. Yeah. That he, I mean, he's got to be in terms of the. I mean, I don't know about the polling, but in terms of the narrative, you've got to start treating him as the front runner um, because he he ran Hillary Clinton so close yeah. that <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. Um, that he has to be considered the front runner, I would have thought. He's got, he's already got a base. He's done this once. He's definitely got a base. Um, he talks about after, on the twenty four hours after he made his announcement, um, he said he immediately raised, I think it was six million dollars um, from grassroots fundraising, which in some ways it's very impressive. In some ways, it's also not a surprise only because he has that, as you say, that that email list that he's already built up. He's already done the work. He's basically run a national campaign. And yeah. because and then, then since the election, he's been running a revolution group, which is this um whatever you want to call it, a, a political campaigning organizing group, um, which has been which has been continuing to build his email list. So you would expect him to be able to do that. On on the polling, it's actually I, I'm not so sure because the polling shows him second to Biden. Um, now, whether Joe Biden enters the race, who knows? Um, so what you're saying is we have this race of loads of fantastic women and the top two yeah, and, are and all white men. <laughs> <laughs> we'll come back to that. <laughs> um, so he is second to Joe Biden, who, again, it's a name recognition thing. And and I, I did an, an episode a, a few weeks ago where we talked to a pollster who was saying, don't, don't read too much yeah. into it at this point. Um, but I also think there's another complicating factor in whether or not he's a front runner, which is, I think he has, has he maxed out his Democratic support? That's my question, because he's not a Democrat. He's not a member of the party. He hasn't been. And and there are factions within the party. And I wonder if he's got, if he's got as much of the Bernie eligible vote as there is, mm. where's his growth going to come from? So He's at about 22% in the polls. Can he get to 50, 51%? That's the question. I mean, I think it's an interesting question. I would say that the last couple of years have probably increased the electorate in the Democratic Party quite considerably. Um, It will be interesting to see what that means. Has the electorate increased by more centrist voters who are just so put off by Trump they feel they have to do something? Or has the electorate increased by people who see that we need a radical change and the Democratic Party is the best vehicle for that? Yeah. I don't know the answer to that. I suspect a bit of both. Guess we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think there is definitely a sense that he could have increased his electorate. Yeah. Um, but the question I think Democrats, voters will be asking themselves in this primary is, uh, the first question is, can they beat Trump? Hmm. Uh, and is Bernie the answer to that question? I don't know. And that's that is another interesting aspect to all of this, which is we are so so Trump has lost support um, uh, amongst the Republicans. Um, it, he hasn't lost support amongst his base, yeah. which is not the whole of the Republican voting population. He has lost support amongst the Republican base. Um, and the question is, who are the people who have peeled off? Are they your kind of New England centrist? Republicans like my my parents were, or they, um, you know, they're probably not the Trumpian populists. I'm assuming he's still held on to them. And in some ways, Bernie might be the best place to peel those people off, but you're not going to lose those people. Trump's mm. got them. 
Um, so who who are these winnable voters? I guess we'll, we'll, it's one of the things we'll, we'll have to find out during the primary, I think. I mean, if you look at 2018, the winnable voters were women in the suburbs, mm. um, which presumably means college-educated white women yeah. um, because that's the demographic. So uh, you you need a candidate who's going to appeal to them and turn them out in mass numbers. Um, I, again, the problem is if you're appealing to the suburbs uh, and cities, the way that the college is set up is so insanely discriminatory mm. uh, that you may well end up not getting enough rural votes to actually win the election, despite winning the popular vote by, oh, I don't know, say maybe three million. Mm. Oh, you know, just, to <laughs> just off the top of to... my head. <laughs> For example. <laughs> um, yeah, and of course, the, the, the three states that we lost in, in 2016 that we must win back. I mean, there are other routes to the presidency, but realistically, we need to win back Wisconsin, um, Michigan and Pennsylvania. Yeah. And, and all of those are, I mean, there are obviously white women in the suburbs there. Um, but they are they are Rust Belt states there, and that's that's who it feels like Bernie has been mm. trying to hitch his populism to, um, which is where some of the tensions might be coming in mm. between the sense. But but I guess there's a lot to unpack in there. Some of which may come out when we go through um, my overcoming resistance exercise. <laughs> So I've written down six reasons why I think I have this instinctive feeling of, mm-hmm. of anxiety when I think about a Bernie penalty. I'll just read out what those reasons are, and then you can pick, Emma, which one you want to take okay. on first. So reason number one, he's not a member of the Democratic Party. Reason number two, I'm not sure he'll play fair, um, having uh, made unfounded allegations of um, of of electoral tampering in the 2016 primary, I worry that he'll not just not play fair and, and treat the treat the treat it equally. Um, reason number three is he too old? He'll be 79 in 2020. That seems really old. <laughs> um, number four is he a bit clueless on identity issues? Um, we have a lot, I'm sure a lot more to say on that. <laughs> number five, some of his supporters are assholes. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> Not all of them. No, 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 no. no not the false some of majority. It's just wonderful. a really, really loud minority. Yeah, but some of them are assholes. Um, and number six, he had he did not release his tax returns in the 2016 primary. He released a summary of one year of tax returns, the least transparency on tax of any candidate on either side except for Trump in the past 10 years. Oh, good! I didn't know that. Yeah, that's that's a bit of a thing, and it's a mystery to me. I, I mean, I, I don't. <clears throat> we the tax return thing is a very American thing. Mm. So, like, I don't think anyone here releases their tax returns, but their expenses are public knowledge, yeah. and not least because we had a massive scandal about it about ten years ago. Yeah. Um. So I, I, I don't really understand the intricacies of what a tax return does. Mm. Um, but it basically, it's like how much money you've earned and how fair you've been with paying your taxes on it is my understanding. Well, it, it gives you more information than that. I mean, it's it's a vehicle that's traditionally used. I guess we're doing that one first. So yeah, I guess so. let's, let's take that Maybe one. Mainly because it's the one I don't know anything about. Yeah. So obviously let's talk about that. Interesting <laughs> new point. Um, 
So the, the, the tax return is a vehicle for a couple of things. Um, it's yes, it tells have you been paying your taxes, and that's that's one of the questions that we'll be asking. Have you been paying your taxes? What mechanisms have you used? It also reveals things like what charitable donations have you made? What are your? But the main thing I think is what are your sources of income? Mm. It is a way of understanding right. where a presidential candidate gets their money from. Um, and you know, obviously, he'll have a senatorial. So it's salary. the equivalent of the register of interests in Parliament. It, it serves the similar yeah. function, right? Um, okay. And so, yeah, um, in which case, if you're a socialist and you are running on an anti-corruption, money corrupts politics ticket, then for God's sake, tell us where you get your money from. I mean, it, that's just, that's it's just a no, 101, isn't it? It's a no-brainer, right? Yeah. Like, you would think he'd be the first candidate yeah. out there. And he just kept saying, oh, yes, yes, I'll release them. But then he literally just didn't. How bizarre. It's weird, and I can't think why that would be. Um, some people have said it might be because some, his wife might have some source of income they don't want to disclose, because if you filed jointly, her income would be out there. Um, and he's just been really cagey about it. And I, like, I have no reason to think there's anything wrong in, in Bernie Sanders' taxes, but then just put them out. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, honestly, yeah. Don't keep us guessing. It's fine. Just tell us. Unless you're just getting a ton of money from, like, literally the Putin. Yeah. Like, yeah, just release it, dude. Yeah. And see, like, the fact that we're even having this conversation could be avoided. Right? Yeah. It's, it just feels like... It, it, I'm it, genuinely baffled by yeah. that. Uh, me too. I, I don't understand it. Right. So should we do the other five issues? Sure. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I think for me, the age thing isn't a thing. Mm. I mean, Trump is really old and much less healthy um, and got elected anyway. Um, Although he is two years older than, older than Trump. Yeah, but what's Actually, two years at, when you're in your seventies? Come on, it's actuarially it's pretty significant. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's probably ageist. Yeah, honestly, but I mean, he looks older than Trump. That's I mean, in terms of like literally just putting them next to each other on the mm. telly, he looks ten years older than Trump, mm. uh, and that probably is a problem. But it's not for me a significant the significant issue. I think. Um, the problem I have with Bernie is twofold. And I think it combines the will he play fair with the identity stuff. Um, and Bernie himself will keep his skirts absolutely clean and will not get involved in the dirty fighting. But you just know his surrogates are going to. Mm. And that whoever, if he gets beat, whoever beats him will be... Wikipedia, uh, wiki leaked mm. to hell uh, and treated as a centrist, no matter what, whether that's whether it's Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, or yeah. Joe Biden, you know, who span quite a big spectrum of the Democratic yeah. Party, they'll all be treated as exactly the same. And the the nasty centrists who beat our lovely Bernie, um, and. And I think I've said to you on Twitter, my biggest concern is I could not. So lots and lots of young Labour um, people go and volunteer in the American primaries for the Democratic campaign. It's a huge sort of rite of passage. We're madly obsessed with American politics, which is why I'm on your podcast, to be fair. <laughs> I know you are. And I often get, I, every election cycle, I get these keen Labour Labour people coming to me. How can I help? What can I do? 
stand back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> For Democrats abroad, we don't accept, um, you know, we have to be careful about what, what we do. But you can absolutely fly home, fly back to America and do stuff. But I love that. I love that. Please don't write to some uh, random person in Ohio because it really doesn't help. <laughs> and I, you know, bless the enthusiasm, but just stop. Yeah, yeah. Take a deep breath. Um, but I couldn't in good conscience, after what we've heard about what happened on this last campaign, suggest that young women did that mm. without doing it through a third party. So so to be clear, the, um, the, the story hasn't unfolded. So there have been relatively recently some former Bernie Sanders staffers from 2016 um, have come out and said that there were significant problems of sexual harassment um, and just abuse basically mm-hmm. abusive behavior um towards women by Sanders staffers in 2016 they the allegation was that they that it was not handled by the campaign almost at all i mean they just ignored it, it, it even when it was reported um and and to be fair Sanders has acknowledged that that was a problem and he has apologized for it um and he has assured us that he will do better this time yes i mean his his first apology was a bit mm. tinnier uh, well, that uh, just is a bit tinny. Uh, this is the, and this is the, this is what it goes to the heart of. I have a very, very strong belief that socialism without social liberalism, not economic liberalism, is socialism for straight old white guys. Yeah. Uh, and liberalism without socialism is liberalism for the rich. Mm-hmm. I worry that Bernie doesn't agree that social liberalism is of equal importance Mm. Uh, so I think he's going to make a really good case for the economic socialism but if he leaves behind the social liberalism then he's not going to change things for the people in America who most need that change and it's not just women uh, obviously, women is my thing because I'm a feminist, and it's, a, it's kind of a thing. My, it's my thing. <laughs> um, but I know that Bernie really struggled last time mm. around with black voters, mm. and I think that's for the same reason. So it was really interesting to watch the dynamic with Bernie and black voters in 2016 because I think in many ways his heart is in the right place and I think he believes he is liberal on social issues and I think he genuinely wishes to be liberal on social issues. (laughs) But um, specifically with black voters, for example, um, one of the things that was happening in 2016 was the rise of the Black Lives Matters movement. Mm. Now, Black Lives Matter is a very specific, I mean, there are a lot of other issues tangential to it, but the, the core problem is a criminal justice problem. And it is Black people are not treated, are, are, are regarded as suspicious and treated with more hostility and, in fact, literally killed mm-hmm. by the police, mm-hmm. killed, unlawfully arrested, unlawfully searched, treated as inherently hostile by the police and law enforcement. That is not a class-based issue. And I think one of the things, and so Bernie's response to it was, literally, I'm going to make life better for all Americans. We have to solve the economic problems and that will help black people too, which is just almost a willful failure to understand the problem that is being addressed. And I couldn't understand why he wouldn't, as he's a smart man, I couldn't understand why he wasn't capable of saying, yes, let me have a conversation about criminal justice reform, which I'm sure he's on the right side of. Like, I'm not accusing him of 
wishing that police would shoot more black people. Yeah. But it was it, just a failure to engage with it. And then so on this year, even when in an, in an interview after he announced his candidacy, I've got a quote in front of him where he was asked about identity issues. And he says, we've got to look at, the, at candidates, you know, not by the color of their skin, not by their sexual orientation or gender, and not by their age. I mean, I think we have to move us towards a non-discriminatory society which looks at people based on their abilities, based on what they stand for. I don't see color, isn't it? Mm, it is. It's I don't see color. Yeah. Uh, and I look, I, I get that that is the 60s ideal, but actually the conversation has moved past that so much because we know that we do see colour. Even those of us who desperately, desperately don't want to be discriminatory. I mean, I've got a blended family, for God's sake, but I'm aware that I do have a slight difference when I see young black youth on the street. And I wish I didn't, mm. um, but I at least be aware of it mm. in yourself. And I think, so I think, first of all, there's very self-serving when, when he comes out with a quote like that. Mm. And it seem, it comes across as self-serving. So there's a tone deafness to it. Yeah. But second of all, I think this idea of, um, oh, let's just base people, judge people on their abilities. It ignores the way implicit bias works. Because implicit bias works on the, um, we have an instinctive affinity for people who are like us. Mm. And, mm. and so quality is often judged on the basis of, what looks more familiar to me? What looks more like me? What looks more like the people I know? And and that's true of all people, all races. But the the the, the cumulative effect of that are significant. Um, and and so for for a black voter to say, oh, we need to judge people based on their abilities, it it sounds in the ear of a black voter like you're saying you're not good enough. Yeah, that's yeah, why yeah. you don't succeed. Yeah. And that's that's uh, that's probably not the case he's making, but it comes across that way, and it's just toned up. And the thing about socialism is that it is genuinely a belief in intervening in structural inequalities. Mm. Now, it has traditionally been a class-based thing, but the structural inequalities that exist in the world are not just class-based. They, you know, they are racist and they are sexist. And if you are unwilling to even talk about those structural inequalities then you will not change the world enough for me. <laughs> so I think identity definitely I, I find troubling. And, and as one of the few straight white men <laughs> in the race, I think he needs to be more, you know, even, it, you know, however he runs, I think he needs to be more careful and more thoughtful yeah. about how he talks about these issues. Um, I mean, he, they, and, and this isn't his fault, but it is his problem. He's also the candidate of the woke bros. Mm. And, oh God, I can't stand the word bros. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Can they just stop? Yeah. It's like, dude, seriously. I get things explained to me so often by these people. There was a guy on Twitter yesterday who was celebrating the fact, and I swear to God, this is what his tweet said, something like, yay, I've just placed a piece on Vice where I'm going to explain how my use of sex workers enhanced my feminism. I saw that. And I'm like... What really? <laughs> and then you can—you just know that guy's a Bernie fan. <laughs> I mean, that's the problem, and that's something he needs to overcome mm. because you literally just—you look at that and you think Bernie fan, mm. and you know what? That's Bernie's problem. It may not be his fault, but it is his problem. 
So, and, and so is it his fault? I think that's, that's, that's another question because, right. So in the 2016 election, I think Bernie was the candidate of not Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Right. Now, I have mixed feelings about Hillary Clinton, so I was open to a Bernie candidacy in 2016, and I actually wrote a very kind of considered essay before endorsing her about what were the what were yeah. the factors pro and con. So I think he consolidated together kind of not Hillary voters from a lot of different perspectives, yeah. and many of which were very thoughtful, and and many of which were totally valid. I mean, Hillary's well to my right. Yeah, far far to my right. Um, but some of those not Hillary voters were not Hillary voters because they just didn't like her personally. She just yeah. rubs me up the wrong way. Yeah, it's, uh, there was a wonderful piece I read about, I want to vote for a woman, just not her. Yeah. And the her <laughs> changed throughout the just essay. Coincidentally. Whoever, yeah. Yeah. Um, coincidentally, I'm starting to find that I, I also find Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, and, 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 oh, and then, yeah, I'm starting to get rubbed the wrong way by Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez too. <laughs> So there's, I see he has a grouping within his current supporter base who are based on that. And that's, is it his fault? It's not his fault because he didn't create those people, but he was very glad to have their support. And one of the reasons why he, you know, the, the allegations that were made against his campaign in 2016, it was very clear that one of the things they didn't do was actually rein that in. And I'm not sure they really tried and I do wonder if there was a part of them that just thought hey this is a big part of our base yeah Uh, and that is a big part of politics at the moment I mean you know that is a voter group that you may decide to appeal to Mm. Um, Trump certainly does exactly I mean that you know that is Trump's base uh if you're peeling away Trump's base, if that's your yeah. electoral strategy, then you are going to piss off feminists. Mm. Um, and the problem is that if he wins the nomination, there's going to be an awful lot of pressure on feminists to shut up. Mm. And it's not really in our nature. No, we're not, we're not good at that. No, it's not really our thing. <laughs> no. Um, but I think on the identity issues, another thing that kind of layers into it really interestingly is is because Trump has Trump Trump Trump's thing, his thing is being the safe place for white grievance, white male grievance in particular. Now, now Bernie almost feels like he's trying to capture that audience. He talks about being the like being a member of the white working class. Mm. And every time he says that, I'm like, you're a Jew from Brooklyn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like identity wise. And, you know, in the past, he's been a proud Jew from Brooklyn. And I don't, I wouldn't classify that as white working class identity, but he's consciously. No, I think white, white working class as Trump and his supporters understand it is wasp, surely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, white evangelical Christian. Yeah. Uh, um, white rural evangelical yeah. Christian. Now he represents a rural district, but he's not from a rural district, and he doesn't talk like a rural person. Um, and I just think it seems really interesting because it's a triangulation. It feels yeah. like he's triangulating his own identity to look more like a Trump voter. Yeah, 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 yeah. Consciously or unconsciously. And Brooklyn is, you know, it's, come up. I mean, I love Brooklyn. <laughs> it's fantastic. I mean, I would be strongly inclined towards voting for a Jewish person from Brooklyn. <laughs> like, those are my people. But it, it's not the... It, it's not, it's not, not the white working class. No. I mean, 
Brooklyn maybe was the working class 20 years ago. <laughs> sure, <it's LA> now. <laughs> well, to be fair, and that's when he grew up. Yeah, and when, yeah. I mean, I mean yeah. If, we're, if our problem is his age, then I can't also have a problem with his being working class and from Brooklyn. Well, is that, you know, <laughs> like, I do think, I do, I do think it's correct that he identifies as working class. Yeah. I think he always has identified as working class. But white working class is a very different identity set than Jewish Brooklyn working class. And it also, there is an issue, um, if you're, so my working class friends, I can't, you can listen to my ex and I can't claim to be working class. Um, I grew up middle class in a working class area mm-hmm. um, that gentrified around me. My parents were obviously the, the spearhead of <laughs> gentrification. Um, but the middle class people are embarrassed about their money. Working mm. class people are not. Mm. So the tax issue thing, uh, that that kind of seems to me like, like, I've made it, mm. dude. Look, look at look at how well I'm doing. Is actually the working class response to yeah. success. Yeah. Uh, middle class people. Oh God, I've got a bit of success. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> well, that's saying, I mean, is he trying to? I, I don't want. I don't. I don't want to speculate because I have no idea. I mean, maybe it's just carelessness. Maybe they just couldn't be bothered. I don't know. But on the tax I mean, thing, maybe maybe he when was, he didn't win, he was like, can't be asked, can't be asked. Yeah. But but it was too late by that. Like he should have already. Yeah. It, just I don't know. I don't want to go into it too much longer because I don't know what's behind yeah, yeah, it. But, yeah, yeah. but what I was going to say is maybe he maybe he makes more money than it looks like he makes, and he doesn't want to like he feels like that would endanger his working class identity. I don't know. But that I mean that for me that what what that always strikes me as is the kind of people who pretend to be working class yeah. and think that being working class is about celebrating being poor, whereas actually most of the working class people I know celebrate when they get money. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, that's the thing. It's you know, there's a real pride in achievement, yeah. and and I think, and I think we need a working class champion. I'm yeah. I'm not in any way against that. Like Sherrod Brown, socialist, yeah, fantastic. <laughs> like, but you know, within the so Sherrod Brown, Elizabeth Warren, these are candidates who are very much talking about the need to kind of reinvest in the working class and 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 revisit their and and, and speak to their lived experiences. Uh, and I'm a hundred percent on board with that. I just don't relate like it. And and yeah, so burnt but Bernie and, and Bernie's working class conversation, absolutely. But it feels like a very white working class mm-hmm. conversation. Yeah. Whereas the working class is predominantly majority. Uh, is, is majority minority. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in a, yeah. I mean if you look at the people doing working class jobs in America now, they are largely Latino. The other thing we need to talk about um is the the, the thing that I just that, that was my rationale for not voting for Bernie in twenty sixteen, mm-hmm. which was bottom line. He is not a member of the Democratic Party. Um, now, I have seen people on Twitter slag me off for saying that because they think it's an insult. And genuinely, let's just get the facts on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not. It's a neutral statement of fact. He has chosen not to be a member of the Democratic Party his entire career. And even in 2018, when he was running for re-election in Vermont, as he has always done, he was... Uh, he he refused the nomination of the Democratic Party. His own local party nominated him and he declined their nomination in order to run as an independent. Uh, and so I, I'm deeply uncomfortable about that. Yeah. Now, I think for Bernie, it's a, it's a politics purity thing. Um, he, his criticism of US politics is not just a criticism of the Republicans. He also has deep objections to the Democratic Party of which I am a member. Mm-hmm. Some of those concerns are valid, and I think his concerns about money and politics, I completely agree with. My challenge to Bernie is that I feel like the 
the best way to have made an impact on the issues that he cares about as a party issue would have been as a party member in his entire career. And his decision to run as an independent feels like vanity to me. It feels like he's prioritizing his own personal purity over his ability to make an impact, um, even though he's always caucused with the Democrats. So the, the kind of have it both ways of I'm going to join you as a coalition, but not in a way that allows me to make change within the organization. And I will criticize you from outside. I find it all really troubling. It's not my way of doing politics. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, Coming from a British perspective, it absolutely baffles me. Um, we've just had people break away from the two major parties to form their independent group. And the reason they've done that is because they didn't feel that they could elect the leader of their parties for prime minister. And the idea that you could run to be what is essentially leader of a party without being a member of that party I just find it insulting to the members of the party and just weird. I mean, it's just so baffling to me as, as an outsider that, that that would even fly at all with people who have elected not just to self-identify as Democrats, but who have joined the party, yeah. you know, give their time, money, effort, shoe leather to the party. Yeah. Um, I don't so much think it's the personal vanity issue for me, but it's more just a socialism is a collective endeavour. You join the collective, you agree and disagree, and you change it from within. That's how systemic change works. Mm. Um, I mean, I'm a democratic socialist. I'm not a revolutionary socialist. Um, but As is Bernie. As is Bernie. So you do it within a democratic system. And for me, that's about changing the Democratic Party to bring it further to the left, which yeah. I'm really which happy is happening. And he could have done. Like, and has done. Has and done. let's be fair to yeah. the guy. Completely. The guy has, has changed the Democratic Party and the narrative enormously. And I think that's a good thing. I just don't think you can lead something you don't want to be part of. Mm. I, yeah, I mean, that's kind of how I feel as well. And it's just the, the, the party system and structure, the whole concept of political parties and political party organizing there's a, is decaying in a lot of ways. And it's, it's one of the things, I mean, we are seeing a massive, um, I think, problematic breakdown of democratic with a small D politics, not just in the US, but in countries all around the world. And one of the factors driving this is the decline in organizational institutions mm -hmm. that support democracy. And I don't just mean political parties. I also mean things like trade unions. I mean things like, you know, local neighborhood clubs, organizations. I think that this belief that I have in the power of organizing infrastructure to bring two people together who don't agree with each other about everything, to work together on something he doesn't and and he described himself as an organizer and he's built this our revolution group um which i have mixed feelings about as well because i think they've actually been quite disruptive within the party they kind of show up to meetings and shout at people and it's like make friends so people together. <laughs> but leave that aside um but but I would challenge Bernie and say if you are if you want to be president of the United States, it is effectively an organizing mm -hmm. position. You need to organize a coalition of people to govern. Ideally, people within your own party, and then some occasions you might need to bring people from other parties who agree with you on that issue. Bernie's been an independent 
he's been the only independent in Congress as long as he's been. Uh, I mean, for different, you know, a member of the only socialist, certainly within within Congress. And I would challenge him and say, if he thinks he's a great organizer, why has he been the only socialist mm-hmm. in Congress in all this time? If he thinks the Democratic Party is not the right vehicle, then why didn't he build a socialist party? Um, it, 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 I understand that, you know, it's very difficult in the American system to do that. But if his argument is both mainstream parties are too corrupt, which is his argument, which I fundamentally disagree with. I agree that there is there is there are problems um, on the Democratic side, but I do not in any way accept the criticism that the the organization is corrupt and unsavable, which he seems to imply. Um, then then go out and build your own party, build it, make it stronger, you know, bring it up. But actually, he didn't. He's just stayed there, kind of in his own space, doing his own thing, and then being a Democrat when it's convenient. That's not my idea of how political organization works or should work. Yeah, I, I think that's an absolutely reasonable critique. Um, socialism is not being the only fox in the hen house. It's about going, you know what, this house should be for all foxes and I'm going to bring a ton of foxes with me and we're all going to live in happy peace and harmony with the hens. <laughs> this is a very bad analogy and I'm very sorry I started down this <laughs> road. <laughs> Just like, who's the fox here? <laughs> but, yeah, it's... It, 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 that where is where I think your ego criticism is valid. Yeah. Um, because if you believe in collective endeavor, then it's not about you being a superstar, it's about the movement being a superstar. Yeah. And where's the movement? Yeah, I think that's a perfectly reasonable question. Yeah. Like if you're so great at organizing, what have you organized? What what or, what organizational infrastructure have you grown yeah. over the time? Why? Because you could, if you know, it, he showed in 2016 that he can, as you say, move the party to the left if he tries, but he didn't try. Yeah. So how committed is he to actually making this change? And how much is it just about when it's in his interest to do so? Um, hey ho, we've been very critical. Let let's let's put that to one side. Absolutely. What is the case for Bernie Bernie Sanders presidency? I mean, an awful lot of his policy is, you know, 100% on my street. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I am a socialist. I'd love to see a socialist running America. I think it'd be amazing. Um, you know, <laughs> the president of the United States has the biggest bully pulpit in the world. Mm. Imagine doing that as a champion of the working class. Uh, as we've said, a champion of all the working yeah. class would be great. Um, I... I think he's done amazing things in terms of changing the terms of debate. Yep. Uh, I think he he is surfing the zeitgeist beautifully. Um, there is a real issue with the way that capitalism... So I describe socialism as a moral answer to an amoral system that has mm. immoral outcomes. Interesting, nice. <laughs> um, and I think that the immoral outcomes of current capitalism are so vast now mm. that we really do need a massive, massive correction. Yeah. And that is what, I mean, he is the candidate, I would say him and Elizabeth Warren yeah. are the two candidates that offer that yeah. the most starkly. I, I agree with all of that. And I think I think completely and as a as somebody who is instinctively pragmatic, I think I sometimes err on the side of being too pragmatic. 
I, I, I sometimes keep myself within the confines of the politically possible and I miss the moment when actually you can go better. Change the possible. Change the possible. And I think Bernie is great. He has done a fantastic job of changing the, the Overton window and, and moving the category yeah. of what's possible within US politics. I'm so glad that that has happened. Um, and I'm so glad for myself as well, because, for example, Medicare for all is a lot closer to the healthcare system that I would like to have than Obama. Than Obama. Are we a chance was. again? We, and, <laughs> hey, maybe there's a chance again. The truth is, there probably isn't, because you'd still need to get something like that through the system. But I'm so glad that it's, that, that we are talking about what should happen instead of what can happen. Yeah. That, that's a conversation we should be having. And I am glad that Bernie Sanders has forced us, all of us, into that conversation. I'm glad that um, I'm glad that that, that landscape exists. Mm. I, I, as you say, Elizabeth Warren is doing some of the same things. She doesn't call herself a socialist. She says she's a capitalist. But I think her criticism of capitalism is very smart and I think she would probably agree with my definition of socialism for her, but wouldn't call it socialism. Probably, yeah. Which might be a generation and a yeah. language thing. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so but but I think so. A Bernie Sanders candidacy would be good for helping people understand what America could look like. One of the things I always find frustrating about America is we're a very optimistic country um, in theory, but when we come to imagining the possible within our political system. Um, we are much less optimistic than other countries. And and when you say to an, an average American voter, oh, but for example, they have universal health care in most, most first world nations. They're like, nah, no, nah, it would never work here. But why not? Why, yeah. are we, why are we uniquely unable to do what everyone else is doing? So I think, you know, that kind of optimism we could use a bit more of. Um, so I, I welcome it. Um, and I would hope that, you know, that you can imagine that if Bernie, somewhat in the, the opposite of Trump, right? Let's say he were elected. That, that would you get the same sort of thing that you're getting with Trump and the Republican Party? I.e., <clears throat> because partisan alignment is so strong now. If he became a Democratic president, then maybe the coalition building concern that I have would be less of an issue because people would fall in line because party identity is so strong and we would all work together on behalf of a Democratic president. That hasn't historically been the behavior of Democratic politicians, but who knows? So I have a question that I, like I thought I knew everything about American politics and I realized I don't know something really, really basic. Go on. If he wins the nomination of the Democratic Party, but still doesn't become a member of the Democratic Party, will he be a Democratic president? Yes. Okay. So um, party membership does not work in the same way in America as it does in Britain. So, for example, um, so membership is a much more loose thing. By if you declare yourself to be a member of a party, you're a member of a party. Oh wow! You can't be. God, you'd have so. God, we have so many problems with the members we have. (laughs) (laughs) But membership, membership is not a thing, really. So, for example, um, and uh, this is going to sound like a really technical point, but it makes a big impact. You cannot charge a fee for party membership. Where do you get your money? Good question. We have to raise it from donors. But it's because party membership is constitutionally considered a fundamental right. Like the super, the courts have ruled that being a that, that aligning yourself with a political party cannot be associated with any fee because you must be able to do it no matter your 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 income. It can't be can't be Does that mean you can't kick people out of the party? We can't kick people out of the party. 
<laughs> okay, uh, I don't know how much your listeners know about what's happening in the British yeah. Labour Party at the moment, <laughs> but man, that's a problem. <laughs> Would be a bit of an issue, yeah. yeah. I mean, for us, in a weird way, it's less of a problem for Democrats because membership isn't as much of a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so because people know... So you don't get judged by your worst members. You don't, Well, I mean, sometimes we do, and I mean, certainly Fox News will always try and do that, but but it's not... Like, there's no there's no record of someone showing up to, you know, paying their dues that can be brought, put, pulled back yeah, to us. Yeah, yeah. No, party membership is not like joining the club. Um, so, yeah, so, so Bernie can be a Democratic president if he says he's a Democratic president. Wow. Okay. And anybody That's... who wins the nomination is is, is president of Democratic So, technically, I could, well, technically I couldn't. You could not. Because the whole being born abroad thing. But, wow. Yeah, so there you go. Right. Okay. Thank you. I'm really sorry. I know that's like such a basic question. No, it's that not. Your listeners are like, shut up, Emma. What not, are you doing on this podcast? All, and I think most Americans have never thought about it in those terms. I only think about it in those terms because you live over here. I've done both. Right. Um, so there you go. The pros and cons of, of a Bernie candidacy. I guess we'll we'll see what happens. Yep. Shall we play the gut check game? Of course. Of course. Right. So I have here in my trusty Red Sox baseball cap um, a suite of policies, slogans, strap lines, um, things said and heard on the campaign trail. I'm going to pull one out of the hat, or I'll let Emma pull one out of the hat, and then we'll just see how we feel. Oh, there we go. So I have... America first. Ah, that's a Trump slogan. Yes, it is. Yeah. I just mixed it up. He is a candidate in this election. He is a candidate in this election. Um, We could talk about Trump all day. I'd rather not. It's my birthday. Um, (laughs) By the way, happy birthday. Thank you very much. Um, America first is one of those things which, on the face of it, just seems kind of, yeah, you know, obviously the Trump, the president of a thing puts the thing first. Mm. But it's actually a lot more troubling because you know the history, and it's a you know it's a fascist slogan, and yeah. um, and the people who wrote that for Trump know that full well, even if he doesn't. Yeah. Um, and when you have, as I said earlier, the biggest bully pulpit in the world, the biggest army in the world, an economy that can intervene in others without troubling you too much, although he's managing to create some big problems in his trade wars. Having a slogan as simplistic and as troubling as America first is really concerning because we don't live in a world in which America first doesn't massively affect the poor in lots of other countries. Yeah, so I've done an entire podcast episode on this question because I did a, a wonderful interview with uh, Sarah Churchwell, the, the academic who's written um, you did. a book about this. Um, so I refer you back to my episode, Team Dream, uh, listeners. If you haven't seen, if you haven't heard it, it's it's one of my favorites. Um, and we really dig into the the, the kind of history of it. Um, and there's almost two slogans that kind of parallel each other as we talk about. There's America first, and then the other one is the American dream. Um, and the American dream has almost become kind of a, a catch-all for an open, inclusive, pro-immigration America, and, and America first is the exact opposite. Um, I'm not willing to give Trump as much credit as you gave him for, hmm. by saying, oh, he maybe even if he doesn't know, I think he absolutely 100% knows that, that, that America first is a fascist slogan, and I think that's why he uses it. Um, I think we, we need to stop giving Trump the excuse of his own apparent idiocy. Yeah. Um, 
his father was arrested at a Ku Klux Klan rally in the 1920s. Um, this, this, this idea is not new to the Trump family. It's not new to Trump himself. He has been consistently um, fascist-tinged for as long as he's been in public life, including in his real estate dealings. Yeah, yeah. So, um, oh, that, that Trump is a racist is undeniable. Hmm. That he's clever enough to know the difference between racism and fascism, on, that's the bit I'm not sure about. Possibly, but either way, it ain't good. No, absolutely. Hey, not here to defend Trump. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that his use of it as a foreign policy slogan and his use of America Force first on the floor of the UN in front of other nations of the world and almost turning it around on its head and telling other countries, you too should put your countries yeah. first. It's basically a call for everyone to slam their borders shut and stop cooperating. It's also astonishingly ironic from a guy who has bent over backwards to North Korea mm. um, and whatever comes out of the Mueller probe and all of that, you know, Helsinki alone mm. made it very clear that it wasn't America first <laughs> that was on his mind when he was in, in, in his dealings with Vladimir Putin. Yeah. So, you know, America first, except when it suits my pocket. Yeah. <sighs> there you go. Okay, should we do another one? Uh, yes. Free college tuition. That's a Bernie Sanders That's policy. That's a Bernie Sanders policy, appropriately enough. Uh, <sighs> go on then. Okay, so I think free college tuition is a good-ish idea, but if I have a limited pot of money and a certain amount of it has to go to education. For me, the absolute priority is early years, and then it's secondary education. Tertiary education, i.e. anything above high school, is my third tier priority. I think there are much, much bigger problems in American in the American education system, we've seen this with the huge sweep of teacher strikes recently mm -hmm. um, that need more highlighting and more investment that I would deal with first. That's not to say I would never get to free college tuition, but it's not. It's my third tier priority. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's well articulated. <clears throat> um, for me, I, I, I broadly agree with that. <clears throat> Um, I think the the underpinning problem that does need solving is that college tuition in America is insanely expensive. No, I know I'm applying it, to American universities at the moment. <laughs> it's, it, so it's insanely expensive, and I mean, even within my lifetime, I think I had I had not fully appreciated. College was already very expensive when I was going to college. It's more than twice as expensive now, and it it, it and it's there's a working class problem here because yeah. it used to be possible for a working class person to put themselves through college by working um it used to be possible even within kind of bernie sanders lifetime mm -hmm. for a working class person to put themselves through college through working and there also was a white male um there was a sort of white male socialism that existed um post second world war which was the gi bill which yeah. would send any american veteran to to college so there were lots of things. So there were state subsidies. There was just generally lower costs of tuition in the first instance. Um, and then there was the GI Bill. Lots of things were working to make college more accessible to 
frankly, at the time, it was mostly white men. Yeah, yeah. Now, a lot more people are going to university. And actually, the, the most educated group in the American population is, is black women um, who have really used higher education as a way of catapulting themselves, um, you know, in, economically up the yeah. scale. Um, and the costs of that have, have gone up massively. So I'm not I, I agree with you about the way I would order the priorities. Um, but I really want a candidate to propose a serious solution to the problem of high tuition. Yeah, I mean, why wouldn't you just cap it? I mean, I, I know that. I mean, these are tax-free institutions. Yeah. The government can regulate them. Absolutely, hundred percent. And you know, this is this is what socialism in action, as opposed to communism, is: is you regulate the shit out of things, <laughs> <laughs> and that's how you change society. Yeah. Go for it. Um, I think it's interesting as well, and and I don't know to what extent there's a gender dynamic in that. But Elizabeth Warren has come out with a universal free childcare. Um, proposal mm. this week, which I absolutely love, hundred percent. Absolutely, think it's amazing. I would have loved to see um, Bernie pick that up with a bit more enthusiasm than he has, um, because I think it's, it's it's a brilliant idea. And also, economists say it would grow the economy yeah. because it would increase workforce participation, um, women back into the workforce. It would just relieve so much stress and anxiety for middle class and, and working class families. It's, it would be amazing. So. Yeah, I would start there rather than it, rather than a college. Hundred percent, right? Um, should we do one more? One more, and call it a day. Seventy oh, percent income tax for billionaires. Oh. what is seventy percent of a billion? <laughs> Fuck of a lot. <laughs> is that a technical term? <laughs> yes, thank you. That is the scientific no, technical term. <laughs> this is an Alexander Ocasio Cortez. Um, yeah, policy. I, it's extraordinary the way that this has been reacted to, as if such a thing has never been considered or thought of. Like fifty years ago, this was not even the norm; it was lower than the norm. And <laughs> um, yeah, billionaires didn't get there on their own merits most of the time. They got there off the back of a system that worked for them, and. There's a wonderful J.K. Rowling quote, which I can't do off by heart, but basically says, I pay my taxes because that's the price I pay for the society that fed me and clothed me when I had nothing. Mm. And that's the point. We feed and clothe the people who have nothing and we pay for that when we have something and you give back. Yeah. And yeah, damn straight. I love I love AOC. I'm such an AOC stan. So yeah. Well, I mean, AOC. AOC is a, is a fantastic example of somebody else who's moved the Overton yeah. window, but has done it in a way that to me feels more. Um, so she's moved the Overton window. She's completely unafraid. Mm -hmm. She's changed the things that are possible to talk about in our politics. But she has done it in a way that is completely. Um, thoughtful about identity issues and completely respectful of all the people in the coalition and she's joyous yeah. bernie's cross and she's joyous yeah she's and a happy i just find warrior. that so much more attractive <laughs> absolutely and she's young and she's thoughtful and she's hopeful and it makes me just happy to watch her yeah um on the on the specific 70 percent uh tax for, tax for billionaires um i i really like it and i like the way that it has unfolded as a debate because when she first started talking about it everybody was like oh shock horror and then all of a sudden people went oh hang on this doesn't seem to be having the blowback that we expected yeah, doesn't it poll like really well? really well people are like yeah and and also she's she's used it as an opportunity which i love she was like 
let me explain how marginal tax rates yeah. work. <laughs> it's been wonderful how she's been yeah. schooling and people. It, exactly. It's like we're not coming for you know the bread in your mouth. We're coming for your second yacht. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it's only when you get above the millions in income yeah. that the rate applies that, that, that only applies to, any, the, yeah. to the money that's up there. Like literally the one. Your first two million are safe. <laughs> yeah. And then we're coming for you. Above two million, really? What's the difference? <laughs> um, the only thing I'd say, though, is I think because Elizabeth Warren has come up with a different policy, which is a wealth tax, um, which is structured in a different way. And I, I think what's been underappreciated so far, and I'd like to hear more conversation about it, is the wealth tax, um, which it doesn't just tax income. It mm. taxes wealth. Mm. And I think it's only like 2%. And it sounds like less, but it actually brings in more. Yeah, yeah. And I, 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 so there's a part of me that would rather see us talk about wealth because I think the problem is not income. Mm. I think that one of the problems that we have as a country is that we only think in terms of, of income and we tax income, whereas there is institutional wealth that has been accumulated that's feeding on itself. And this is why we're getting the kind of, um, this is why I'm becoming a socialist <laughs> is because we have, we've created a society in which literally a small number of people own half of the wealth of the country. And that is the crux of the problem. There is also an income issue, but fundamentally it's this passing on of privilege, of, of extreme disadvantage yeah. at the very upper end that we need to tackle. And I think hardly any Americans who are outside of that group disagree with that fundamentally. Yeah. There's an idea here that's gaining more and more traction, which is called land value tax. Mm -hmm. uh, and the point of land value tax is to ensure that land is well used mm -hmm. uh, and that those who own it pay for um, not just the value that it has as a piece of land, but if you have a piece of land that 100 years ago was nothing and now has a tube station and roads uh, and a school, all things that are built by the state. Yeah. That has gone up in value and you have done nothing yeah. to gain that value. So you should pay for that additional value, but you don't at the moment. You just pay for the tax on whatever it was worth when you bought it. Mm. Um, and I, I think land value tax is similar to wealth tax. I think it's really, it, it, as people who believe in the power of work, taxing income only mm is actually the worst kind of tax. Yeah. I'm not saying we shouldn't have income tax. It's the simplest kind of tax, yeah. let's be honest. But we really should tax unearned wealth. Yeah. Um, and that includes estates tax or death tax, as you feel on Fox News, um, which is you know, literally free money. Yeah. It's li Hi. Literally unearned free money. Unearned free money. Uh, and entrenches inequality through generations yeah. um so yeah uh taxing bads i.e bad behaviors like polluting or uh polluting yourself and others <laughs> i.e fat tax and smoking drinking um but also yeah taxing unearned income is just such a an obvious idea yeah and that's right. So the only reason I'm sort of saying that in respect of the 70% income tax is because I think there's a there's a danger that we've sort of all 
stampeding mm. towards 70% income tax. Um, you know, I say we, obviously, <laughs> we on the left. Um, but I think it's worth opening up the conversation to Elizabeth Warren's point, which is about which is about wealth as opposed to income. But you know what? There's room for both. Absolutely. <laughs> and having the conversation about one opens the door for the other. Yeah. Completely. So, you know, yeah. Hey, maybe you don't want a 70% income tax, but maybe you'd like a 2% wealth tax. Yeah. Absolutely. Turns out that will talk more people, but, you know, we'll be very reasonable. We won't take 70% of your income. We'll only take 2% of your income. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) But this is the conversation I want us to be having, not, you know, how few people can we let into the country or, you know, whether or not racists are fine people. That's, and then that's what makes me happy about a democratic primary is it feels like we can, we can have this conversation um, and and so a lot of people with a lot of different ideas. Let's have it out. I'm so excited about this whole process. So yeah, and and that is a huge credit to Bernie. You know, he has changed the conversation that people now have to compete on ideas on the left. And yeah, we've we've been critical of Bernie today, but we wouldn't be here without what he did. So yeah, huge credit to her. Absolutely. So that's a great place to end it. Um, Bernie, you know, we have some criticisms. We 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 wish you all the best and uh, thank you for what you've done for the debate. We will we'll no doubt hear a lot more from you as time goes on. Thanks, thanks very much, Emma. Thank you for having me. And happy birthday. Thank you. <laughs> And that's it. As always, if you haven't registered to vote or requested your absentee ballot, please do so straight away. Um, there are elections every year, even if, even if not federal elections, and you can get your absentee ballot at votefromabroad.org, or if you're back in the States, go to vote.org to register and request your ballot. Um, I'm Karen Robinson. You can find me on Twitter at KarenJR. That's at K-A-R-I-N-J-R on Twitter. And as always, if you would like to share with me um, your thoughts about the candidates you're supporting, I would love to hear it. Just drop me a voicemail, um, send me a message on Twitter, and I will try and record your thoughts on, uh, include your thoughts in a future podcast. Thanks and have a great week.